You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from the epistle Paul wrote to Titus, chapter 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled and sound in faith, in love and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. and teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. portion of scripture that, in particular, will have our attention this morning is... Titus 2, the verses 11 through 14. These words, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever had it happen to you? You did something and then you wonder, wasn't this a waste of time? All my work for nothing. Illustration, your neighbor's cat has gone up a tree, sits there on a branch and 20 feet up, can't get down. The neighbors don't have a ladder, but you do. And the young lad from next door knows that. So comes knocking at your door, sir, our cat's up the tree, could you come and get it out for us, please? And being the kind neighbor you are, you're more than willing, you grab your ladder, you put the ladder up against the tree, you get the cat out of the tree, cat's down on the ground, you've got your ladder packed again. And as you walk home, you hear, oh no, the cat's going up the tree again. And now just imagine that didn't happen just once or twice, but continually. Another illustration, 
A friend of yours drinks more alcohol than is good for her. She's addicted. You take much trouble, you get her into some sort of program and she manages to kick the habit. And with a bit of encouragement from your side, she states on the straight and narrow, she's happy, you're happy, but then came the summer vacation. You're gone for a couple of weeks, you come back and you smell a breath straight away. All that trouble for nothing. Do you know that feeling? You do something, and then it's done, and then you think, was it worth it? You feel frustrated, disappointed, maybe even angry. Our God has much experience with that sort of thing. He created a world which was good and beautiful. He created people, us, to serve Him, to be His image, to show creation what love and loyalty are all about. But we, we ruined God's world by becoming self-centered. And the result was misery and evil. We do bad things and bad things happen to us. Sin entered the world. Sin. The word means literally to miss the mark. To miss the goal of your life. A person sins when they disobey God. But then... Amazing grace, God takes it upon himself to save us from our self-centeredness. He rescues us from misery and evil. His own son comes to liberate us. To make it possible for us to be good again. Willing and obedient children of God. We receive the Holy Spirit of God to sanctify our lives. He makes us willing and ready to live for God. And then what happens? The cat shoots back up the tree and the neighbor is disappointed, frustrated. Your friend starts drinking again. You feel disappointed. A redeemed sinner repeatedly sins. How does God feel? This morning we want to pay attention to God's intentions with the way he deals with people. They're characterized by the word grace. Boys and girls, do you know what that word means? Grace. Don't use it in everyday language. Grace means receiving a favor without deserving it. It's like getting presents when it's not your birthday. Or, this is probably a better comparison, you've done something you shouldn't have done, and you ought to be grounded, but you're not grounded. Grace, receiving a favor without deserving. We don't deserve God's favor. We people knew full well what we were doing when we fell into sin. And yet God showed us His grace. He helps us escape from impossible circumstances. He rescues us. And He rescues us so that we might be different. So that we might be happy and content. We listen to God's word summarized with this thing. God's grace seeks to change us. God's grace seeks to change us. We'll look at first God's work, then our calling, and thirdly, Christ's role. The Bible is God's book about God. He's given us His word. To tell us who he is and what he does. And one of the most important messages in the Bible for us 
is that God is our Redeemer. He rescues people who live in desperate circumstances. Take the history of Israel. It's all about redemption. When God covenants with his people, when he gives them his laws and his statutes, he begins by pointing out his redemption. He doesn't begin with the commandments. No, he begins with this. I am the Lord. I I am loyal. I am, I am. I'm there. I am your God. I'm powerful. And where do you see the loyalty and the power of God? Well, I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. The Lord is the God who saved Israel with uplifted hand and outstretched arm from its desperate circumstances in Egypt. God rescued the Israelites from the whips of the Egyptians. And he brought his people safely through a desert to a land flowing with milk and honey. A land where irrigation would not be necessary for God himself would cause the rain to come down from heaven. God rescued his people. And he didn't do that just once. He did it twice. On account of her sin and apostasy, God had his people enslaved for a second time. This time they were enslaved to the powers of the east, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. Israel went into exile. But even before Israel went into exile, God promised to rescue her again. And that rescue, that redemption would be so great, so great, that Israel would not refer to her God as the God who saved us from Egypt, but as the God who saves us from the dispersion. Twice over, the Lord set his people free. God is the God who saves. And this double redemption of Israel is not just a historic fact. It stands symbolic for an even greater redemption. A rescue that encompasses all of mankind. Man has submitted himself to the powers of evil. Strictly speaking, man has surrendered himself to himself. Man does not want to serve God. Man wants to serve himself. We have become our own gods. And thus we have become slaves of our own lusts and desires. If you want to know what that means, just look around in the world. Those lusts and desires are usually not the best. It's all about self-enrichment. Egoism. The center of the world? That's me. I am important. And that's how people have become ensnared in the nets of evil. And it is, <coughs> it is from this that God grants salvation. He rescues us from that self-centeredness. Right at the start of world history, when mankind had chosen against God, God created enmity. The antithesis. An enmity between those who would serve God and those who refused to serve God. God went to war in order to wrest his people away from the power of the devil, from the influences of ungodliness. And it was so important to him, mark this, it was so important to him that he sent his very own son into the world to do this. Christ wages the war. Through the cross, God redeems his people from the power of evil so that we might once again enjoy life and enjoy it to the full. We're on our way to a new world in which sin and evil will be no more. That is grace, amazing grace. As it cannot be said often enough, it's all thanks to God. God rescues us from the bonds of evil. Our contribution comes to zilch. Zero. 
When it comes down to it, we are more like the Israelites in the desert, moping and grumbling. Boys and girls, you know how that went in the desert? There's so little to drink. While water came gushing out of the rocks. There's so little to eat. The birds came flying in. Bread rained down from heaven. And there was nothing the Israelites had to do to receive this. Nothing. It's the same for us. We receive forgiveness of sins. We receive the spirit of renewal without doing anything ourselves. Justification, sanctification, they're gifts of grace. And yet we're inclined to grumble and complain. Like Israel, we look at the conditions about us and forget to raise our eyes to heaven. Oh Lord, I can't help it. I'm a sinner. There's so many temptations about me. I can't help it. Now remember, salvation unto us has come By God's free grace and favor. And it's appeared to us all. To all men. Paul has been writing instructions for older men, older women, young men, slaves. God's salvation is for everyone. Not in the sense that everybody gets saved. But it is for every sort of person. It doesn't matter who you are. The color of your skin makes no difference. Whether you're a male or a female, makes no difference. Whether you're a slave or a free person, whether you're you're an Israelite or a Roman or a Greek or a Canadian citizen or an American citizen or a landed immigrant or, or a refugee, it makes no difference. God's grace has appeared to all. It's grace. It comes with no conditions attached. You don't have to score points to get into God's kingdom the way my family did to get into Canada. All are sinners. All fall short of God's glory. All are only saved by grace. And thus by definition, God's grace is for everyone. God's grace is amazing. But why? Why did that grace of God then appear? Let's pay attention to that some more. What's the purpose of it all? That brings us to our second thought, our calling. Well, the answer to that question, why did God's grace appear? It's not that difficult. Think for a moment of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. God had his covenant determined by redemption. He gives his people a a place of their own in this world. And then the introduction to the Ten Commandments and the First Commandment, they almost read like one sentence. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. The whole point of rescuing Israel was that the nation might serve God and not Egypt and its gods. Well, the same applies to us today. We have been rescued from the nets of evil to worship and serve God. And that makes sense. Think for a moment back to the cat that went up the tree. That cat was not pulled out of the tree so that it could shoot back up the tree. Or the friend that managed to kick the habit of alcohol. Her addiction. She wasn't saved from that so that she could start drinking again. No. It's like that for us too. God rescues us from the chains of evil so that we might be joyful and content. Not so that we might return to sin and evil and become unhappy again. We've been freed from sin in order to avoid sin. 
God's grace, Scripture tells us, has appeared so that we might say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. Ungodliness. Boys and girls, listen to that word. Ungodliness. It means living without God. It means taking no notice of God. Ignoring Him. Or even worse, you know exactly what God wants and you refuse to do it. You live as if He does not exist. We are to serve God. We are to take His will and desire into account. We are to so direct our lives that we worship and glorify Him. And therefore, brothers and sisters, say no to ungodliness. And say no to worldly passions. Now, what are the passions of the world? Well, life in secular society is about influence, pleasure, and riches. A worldly lifestyle is about being as important as as possible, to have as much fun as possible, and to be as rich as possible. But that's not the goal of life. Now, don't misunderstand scripture here. Christians are allowed to be important. They're allowed to have fun. They're allowed to be rich. But the point is that our primary focus should not be these things, the passions of the world, but it should be the service of God. And serving God may mean that you're not important, that you become the least, like the Christ. He was the Son of God, but became a human being and suffered the most ignoble of deaths. Serving God may may mean that you have to deny yourself certain pleasures in life. Again, like the Christ, he was glorious God since eternity, but he laid aside his glory in order to suffer and to die. Serving God may mean having to part with your wealth. Like the Christ, he was the ruler of the earth, and yet he was willing to hang there naked on the cross. The passions of the world should not rule our lives. And therefore, brothers and sisters, say no. To worldly passions. God's grace seeks to change us. To make us different. Scripture holds, draws our attention to to three things. We're to be self-controlled, upright, and godly. Self-controlled. Take that very literally. You have to be in control of yourself. Many people cannot control themselves. Their lives are run by their desires, their moods. Today's motto is, do whatever you want to do. But that's not what God would have us do. We're to be in control of ourselves. We're to think about our actions. How do they affect others? How do they affect God? Is this what God intended with my life? Practice self-control. We're to be upright, honest in our dealings with others. Don't lie to other people, don't deceive them, but be honest, be transparent, responsible, be accountable. Have respect for your fellow human beings and take their existence, their lives, their desires into account. Look after not only your own interests, but also the interests of others, Paul writes to the Philippians. And then the third expression is be godly. That's the opposite to that ungodliness to which we are to say no. 
We live not for ourselves, we live for God. Not self-centered lives, but God-centered lives. The fruits of God's grace should be visible in our lives. We're to have faith in God, to trust and obey Him, to follow His lead. Self-controlled, upright, and godly. There's something special about those three terms. Self-controlled is about how you relate to yourself. Upright is about how you relate to other people. And godly, you guessed it, how you relate to God. How you relate to yourself, to other people, and to God. That's what we are to be. That's why the grace of God has appeared. That's why Christ came to this earth. To make us people who are in control of themselves, who are upright in the dealings with others, and who live godly lives, God-centered lives. And that makes perfect sense. For we are on our way to a new creation. This life will not last. This earthly life. But we're on the way to a new creation. We may have eternal life. And in that new creation, there won't be any ungodliness there. Worldly passions no longer exist. Life will no longer be a battle to survive, a struggle to be the strongest and the best. Now everything will be glorious. Everything will be focused on God. God did not rescue Israel from the claws of the Egyptians and the talons of its gods and then in the desert say to Israel, okay, you're on your own now, go and do what you like. No, there were moments when Israel wanted to go back. And then God said, "Uh uh-uh, that way, that way. When the Israelites craved the flesh pots of Egypt, God sent them meat. He didn't let them go back. Israel had to learn what it is to be free, to live free from slavery. Free to serve God. Onward, ever onward to that land flowing with milk and honey. The same goes for us today. We're on our way to a new creation. And in the desert of this earthly life, we have to learn what it is to be free. To be free from slavery to sin. Free to love and to be loyal. What it is to be free to serve God. Now a warning is in place here. There were Israelites who refused to learn the lesson. And they did not enter the promised land. We read in Hebrews that they did not enter because of their unbelief. They did not want to trust God. Though rescued from Egypt by God's grace, they lost their place, they forfeited their place in God's kingdom. And that can happen to us too. Rescued from sin and evil, we may forfeit our place in God's kingdom. If we do not trust God, if we have no faith in our Lord and Savior, if we do not make our every effort to fill our lives with the fruit of the Spirit, if we are faithless, we forfeit our place in God's kingdom. For God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. It teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. God gives us the Christ so that it can happen. God gives us the Spirit so that it will happen. For yes, we long for a perfect kingdom, our promised land, a new creation. That brings us to the last point, Christ's wrong. We wait for the blessed hope, writes Paul, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus the Christ. 
It's kind of funny because he's, Paul has said everything that he needed to say, and yet once more he repeats it. We've been redeemed from all wickedness, purified from sin, so that we might be eager to do good. But now Paul puts it in a certain framework. He says, look at God's grace in Christ Jesus. And that comes with force. See, when you rescue a cat from a tree, that's a good deed. Helping a friend kick an addiction, that's wonderful. But saving people who by definition are your enemies, but saving people from the nets of evil, that's incomparable. We cannot even begin to imagine what that effort has meant. God's own son, his own son became flesh to save us. The very fact that God sends his own son makes clear how important it is to God that we serve him. It makes clear how great his love is for us and how far his loyalty will extend. Because how often are you going to rescue a cat from a tree or help a friend kick an addiction? We all know, for us human beings, there's always this point where enough is enough. But God does not. God does not say, this is it, now I'm done. Don't come back to me now. God has paid the highest possible price for us to serve him. His own son came to rescue us, to redeem us. And his payment wasn't made in dollars, it wasn't made with silver or gold, it was made in blood. Christ lost his life that we might have ours. He was unhappy that we might be happy. He denied himself all things so that we might have all things. He became poor that we might become rich. He gave himself in our stead. We, who lived godless lives, self-centered lives, whose love and loyalty would go so far as to pay for the lives of enemies. When you realize that, brothers and sisters, when you realize that, what does that mean to you? What does it do with you? Does it speak to your conscience? It should. When we recognize what God has done for us, do we dare live before God's face as if we have not been redeemed? Do we complain when we are despised, unhappy and poor? When we confront temptations that we think we cannot handle? When you take note of all that Christ has done for our sakes, do we dare hold back even the smallest things? God's grace in Christ has appeared to all people. It reaches out to all people. It also reaches out to the whole human being. God wants our whole lives, not just the Sunday, Monday through Saturday too. Not just the working season, holiday season too. When God tells Israel how to live, he begins by telling them what he himself has done for them. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God says, you Israel are mine. I rescued you. Now serve me. The same goes for us today. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the kingdom of the devil. I have rescued you from slavery to sin. You're mine. Yes, you're mine. He had us baptized. We bear God's name. You're mine. So serve me. God has given everything to save us from evil. Should we then not respond with readiness and eagerness to serve him? 
And if we think, yeah, but that's so difficult, do not forget. God has promised us His Spirit to make us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for Him. And God gives His Spirit to anyone and everyone who asks Him and thanks Him for the Spirit. God's grace seeks to change us. The question is, are you different? There's a warning here. Those who refuse to change, who resist change, who, who want to stay the same, they don't live by grace. They live by their own efforts. They forfeit the grace of God. The Sinai desert was littered with the graves of those who refused to trust in God, who wanted to do things their way. Let it not be true that those rescued from evil return to the nets of evil. A warning. Our brothers and sisters, there's also an encouragement here. Take note of that. It's grace that changes us. It's not our own effort. God promises us His Spirit to make us living members of Christ, to appropriate the forgiveness we have in Christ, to renew us day by day. If you ask God for His Spirit, you will receive His Spirit. God's grace is out to change us. And that, that is amazing. Have you ever tried to change someone? God's grace, God's love, God's power, they're amazing, they're awesome. Yes, our God is an awesome God. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.